Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. Heads up that you also might hear two different hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. With that said, on with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's November 10th. A mob of white supremacists overthrew the democratically elected government of Wilmington, North Carolina on this day in 1898. This whole incident happened after the end of the post-Civil War Reconstruction. Two parties in North Carolina had banded together to form a coalition. It came to be known as Fusion Politics. These were the Republicans and the Populists, who were also known as the People's Party. Both parties knew that individually they didn't have enough political power or enough voters to try to unseat the Democrats. And the Democrats at that time were mainly made up of wealthy people, many of them former slave owners who had also worked against the civil rights gains of Reconstruction and implemented Jim Crow segregation. But together, the Republicans and the populists thought they had a chance of getting enough voters to work toward their common goals, where they had the same ambitions, they could work together to accomplish it. And in 1896, Fusion candidates won every statewide election in North Carolina. They completely supplanted the Democrats. After the election, the state House included 39 populists, 54 Republicans, and 24 Democrats, and the state Senate included 25 populists, 18 Republicans, and 7 Democrats. The Democrats obviously were highly upset by this turn of events, and a lot of them were also explicitly racist in their view that Black people should not be in office. Wilmington, specifically, was the state's largest city. It had a majority Black population. And on March 25th of 1897, the city of Wilmington elected a majority Republican board of aldermen that included three Black men. This new board of aldermen then elected Silas P. Wright, who was a white Republican, as the mayor. The incumbent Democrats in Wilmington refused to vacate their seats, and they argued this all the way up to the Supreme Court. Once they had lost there, Democrats went on a campaign in North Carolina to try to retake political power. This included a campaign of racist disinformation that painted the Black population, specifically Black men, as violent and dangerous. And they got some help in this from Rebecca Latimer Felton of Georgia, who made a widely publicized speech in which she branded Black men as rapists and white men as weak for failing to defend their women from them. Alex Manley, who was the editor of Wilmington's Black newspaper, the Wilmington Daily Record, published a rebuttal to this that became a talking point among white supremacists who demanded that his newspaper be shut down and that he be run out of town. In response to all of these factors, a group of white business owners and other prominent white citizens turned their focus in Wilmington to Election Day of 1898, and this was a conspiracy to take control of the municipal government. There were multiple people in on this plot, including two sets of ringleaders who were known as the Secret Nine and the Group of Six. One of the ringleaders was named Alfred Moore Waddell, and he gave a speech the night before the election, in which he said to the gathered crowd, quote, you are Anglo-Saxons, you are armed and prepared, and you will do your duty. Be ready at a moment's notice. Go to the polls tomorrow. If you find the Negro outvoting, tell him to leave the polls, and if he refuses, kill him. Shoot him down in his tracks. We shall win tomorrow if we have to do it with guns. 
Armed white men patrolled the streets on election day in Wilmington trying to scare black voters away from the polls while encouraging, in quotation marks, the white voters to get out and vote. On November 9th, the day after the election, white leaders in Wilmington published a white declaration of independence and they summoned the Committee of Colored Citizens and ordered them to go run Alex Manley out of town. And then on the 10th, having not heard back on whether that had been accomplished, they formed an armed mob. They burned down the newspaper office. They ran elected leaders out of town. Thousands of Black residents of Wilmington fled, some of them hiding in graveyards or being sheltered by sympathetic white neighbors. The death toll in all of this is unclear. Estimates are as high as 100 Black citizens killed, with many more injured. A few white men were injured, one critically, and none of them were killed. This had a huge effect on Wilmington and on North Carolina. Many of the Black population of Wilmington moved elsewhere. Democrats retook both Wilmington and the state legislature and then had single-party control of North Carolina for decades. You can learn a whole lot more about this in the Stuff You Missed in History class episodes on the Wilmington Coup of 1898. Those are from January 15th and 17th, 2018. Thanks very much to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for the end of a war. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where we rip out a page from the history books every day. The day was November 10, 1945. A battle broke out in Surabaya, Indonesia, between Indonesians who supported independence and British and British Indian forces. Though the Battle of Surabaya resulted in the death of thousands of Indonesians, it was an important struggle in the Indonesian National Revolution and is commemorated as a day of heroism in Indonesia. By the mid-20th century, Indonesia had largely been under Dutch rule for three centuries. But during World War II, Japan invaded and occupied the Dutch East Indies, ending Dutch colonial rule in Indonesia and stirring support for Indonesian nationalism. Movements seeking independence from Dutch rule had been active since the early 1900s, but the Japanese encouraged Indonesian independence to gain support in their war effort and broke down the infrastructure that the Dutch had built in the colony. The Japanese even provided Indonesians with military training. In September of 1944, the Prime Minister of Japan promised the Dutch East Indies its independence in the future. After Japan surrendered in World War II in August of 1945, the Dutch planned on re-establishing their rule in Indonesia, and British forces were ordered to the area to prepare Indonesia for the return of the Dutch. But Indonesian nationalists took the chance to proclaim Indonesia's independence, and Sukarno and Mohamed Hatta became president and vice president of the new state. As news of the independence declaration spread across the Indonesian islands, more people began to support the idea of a revolution. The Japanese had supplied Indonesian nationalists with weapons. As Allied troops moved into Indonesia and the Japanese, Dutch, and British attempted to assert their dominance, a diplomatic and armed struggle ensued. On September 19, 1945, Dutch internees raised the Dutch flag at the Hotel Yamato in Surabaya, East Java, with the support of the Japanese. 
This inflamed tensions with Indonesian nationalists, who ripped the blue stripe off of the Dutch flag at the hotel. British troops arrived in Surabaya with a small Dutch military contingent in October, aiming to take weapons from the Japanese and Indonesians and send Japanese troops back to Japan. But the Indonesians did not hand over their weapons. Fighting broke out between Indonesians, Dutch, and Eurasians. On October 25th, around 6,000 British Indian troops under the command of Brigadier A.W.S. Malaby entered Surabaya. They were sent in to evacuate European internees, and Malaby made an agreement that the British would not ask Indonesian troops to hand over their weapons and that British Indian troops would stay within an 800-meter perimeter of the harbor. But they occupied key places across Surabaya, and on October 27th, Jakarta-based General Hawthorne organized an airdrop of leaflets that demanded Surabaya's forces surrender their weapons. Indonesians armed with bamboo spears, Molotov cocktails, pistols, and semi-automatic machine guns went up against the British troops in Surabaya. The president, vice president, and defense minister flew into the city and they negotiated a ceasefire, but fighting continued anyway, and Brigadier Malaby was killed in the confusion on October 30th. At that point, the British decided to take Surabaya by force. They sent in more forces, tanks, warships, and armed aircraft. On November 9th, the British warned the Indonesians that a full-scale assault would commence if they did not surrender. The next day, the British began to attack the city, and over the next couple of weeks, thousands of people died, were injured, or fled the city. Though the Indonesians resisted, they lost the battle. Still, the Battle of Surabaya demonstrated the strength of the Republican resistance in Indonesia, and the Indonesian National Revolution ended in 1949 with the Netherlands recognizing Indonesian sovereignty over the United States of Indonesia. Today, November 10th is celebrated as Heroes Day in Indonesia. I'm Yves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to share your thoughts or your innermost feelings with us and with other listeners on social media at TDIHC Podcast. Or if you want to get a little more fancy, you can send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.